0: We live in a world plagued by pornography, and people are looking for help. When an individual struggles with pornography, they often turn to their church leader for that help. How does a leader help a person overcome the shame of this issue and start seeing positive progress? How can a leader help youth to open up about struggles with pornography? What are some lasting, proven tactics that actually make a difference? In order to help, Leading Saints has created the Liberating Saints Library with more than 20 presentations featuring individuals who have a unique perspective or expertise around this topic. Three of those most popular sessions are available to watch now. Simply text the word LEAD to 474747 to start watching now or visit LeadingSaints.org liberating.
1: My name is Joy, I'm from Chicago. Okay, basically, yes, I'm not a member of the church, but I got to know the church and uh, the, the people from the church like Kurt and Richard Osler, and I through the podcast and the summit. So I really, really appreciate what you've done for the church, yes, for the LGBT community, that's great.
0: Leading Saints is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead and we do that through content creation like this podcast which we hope you subscribe to on whatever podcasting app you're using maybe leave a review while you're at it check out leadingsaints.org where there's thousands of online articles and information about our live events and libraries of content for past recorded events and on and on so definitely join the newsletter and make sure you don't miss the coming information from Leading Saints. Now, in this episode, we talk with Mitchell Taylor. Now, Mitchell is a unique guest. I think he may be one of the first youth we've had on the podcast. Now, he's 18, so I guess legally he's an adult now, but a lot of the good work he did was as a youth because he is the author of the book Perfected in Christ, The Good News of God's Grace. And Mitchell has done such a phenomenal job at a young age to really understand and articulate the gospel of the grace of Jesus Christ. And in my opinion, this doctrine, the doctrine of Jesus Christ, needs to be taught clearly and concisely and without any any muddying the waters with the youth of the church. And Mitchell, as a youth, uh, does such a phenomenal job speaking to his demographic and helping them understand that. And it is just phenomenal. You're going to love this interview. Mitch is so fun. And he's just, he's 18. Like he gets it. He He, know, he speaks their language and he does a phenomenal job. So here's my interview with Mitchell Taylor, the author of Perfect in Christ, the Good News of God's Grace. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When the declaration was made concerning the own and only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness. The loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability. Today, I am connecting with uh, Mitchell up in uh, Rigby, Idaho. Is that what you told me? <laughs> yep, that's where I'm from. Small town. Nice, nice. and. Remind me again, as far as your age and where you at in life.
1: I'm 18. I like I was telling you before. I'm leaving to do summer sales this summer, then doing a semester of college, then I'm gonna be going on my mission. So that's the plan. Nice.
0: Yeah, that's cool, man. Any? Uh, I mean, we've got to ask. Like, is there any hopes, or or maybe you don't want to jinx it, as far as where you want to go on a mission, or. <laughs>
1: If I did have to choose, I either want to go to Hawaii, because that's where my dad went, and, or Australia, because that's where my grandpa was, went. So,
0: Oh, yeah. cool. Yep. Nice. And you're raised a pretty traditional Latter-day Saint home, right? Yep. When jump through all the, the hoops of, of your youth experience?
1: Um, I mean, what do you mean jump through all my hoops?
0: Like just, you know, deacon, teacher, oh, yep. priest. Yeah. Yep.
1: Just going through just normal motions of being a Latter-day Saint. Yep. Going to church, cool. preparing sacrament, all that jazz. Yep.
0: Yeah. So. This is great because we typically don't have a lot of youth on the podcast, not that I'm avoiding not having <laughs> youth, but but youth your age, I mean, I guess, I mean, I was the same way. I wasn't necessarily thinking deeply about concepts other than, you know, oh, yeah. Yeah, I know the church is true and planning on a mission and, you know, just these general, maybe more superficial approaches, which is, you know, nothing wrong with that. It's just oh, sort of yeah. a phase of life as you're developing, but you've had a, sort of a unique youth experience because you, you're you already a published author.
1: Yep. I know. It's crazy. I would never, if you told me when I was like 12 or 13 that I would have published a book, I would have literally been like, you're crazy, dude. I can't write yeah. a book. I can't even write a coherent sentence.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would have been the same way at your age, you know? But so, yeah,
1: I just feel so like- So how did
0: it come to be? I was just,
1: I mean, just going through the motions, right? Just going to church and then like, I've been taught by my dad, like that we're saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. And like in sacrament meetings or in classes, I'd hear the opposite. And I'm like, wait, that's not what I've been taught. And then every single time any of those doctrines that were contrary to that were taught, the spirit would prompt me and say, you need to write a book about this. And I'm like, what? No, I don't. Yeah. Why? So I just pushed that to the side. And that happened for like years. And I'm like, I can't write a book. Tell my dad to write a book. He's literally the author. He's wrote like <laughs> 10 books. Let him do it. And then like after a week, like... Finally, I'm like, okay, I'll do it. I'll listen. To, I'll
0: listen to the prompting now. And yeah. like, nice.
1: Two and a half years, hard work, lots of studying. The book came to be. So
0: that's cool. Yeah. And so, you know, I know your dad pretty well. We've we've interacted on various occasions, and he'll probably his voice will make it to this podcast at some point because he's such a dynamic uh, leader in his own right. Oh, yeah. And so d- maybe explain that dynamic of being raised with your parents. Like, how did they? begin to like infuse your mind with these, these more profound doctrines, or I guess, I don't know if they're profound doctrines. I mean, they are the core doctrine, you know, yep. the grace of Jesus Christ, right? Well, how how that simple. that usually happen? I mean, up?
1: my dad and mom, they both understand the good news. My mom at the beginning didn't, but my dad, I mean, he's champion of grace and of Jesus, and he helped her understand that. But I've been taught grace since I was like five, I mean, just from the beginnings. So I've been taught Jesus saves me. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I trust in him 100%. He does all the saving. I trust in him for everything. I mean, he just, the comment, the thing that he taught me when I was little was called the pit of sin. And it just helps to teach the doctrines of justification and sanctification. And it's in my book. But so basically all it is, is that you're in a mile deep pit and you can't get out. There's, it's just concrete walls, concrete floor. You can't dig. You try to jump, dig, climb, whatever you do, no avail. You're stuck at the bottom of the pit. And then you come to this point where you realize, crap, I can't get out. I'm stuck. And then that's when you say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, as the publican in Luke. And then you look up and you see Jesus, arm extended, saying, just accept me, come unto me. And then you say, Lord, save me. He picks you up, takes you out of the pit. And that's what justification is. And that it's instantaneous. When you accept Jesus Christ and you desire your heart, you desire to follow him, he justifies you, which means that you're perfect in Christ. So you meet the qualification of the celestial kingdom because the requirement's perfection. Because Jesus atoned in Gethsemane and died on the cross, we're able to meet that requirement. Not because we earned it or deserve it, but because Jesus loved us so much that he gave his life for us. And then after he takes us out of the pit, he leads us over to a ladder. And this is, cause this is where we all like to get confused. We're like, works coming. Well, where do the works come in? Cause we don't just get justified and we just sit there and like, whoo, I'm chilling now, you know? So he takes us over to the ladder of sanctification and he's he's with us the whole time. We hold hands with him. We climb up the ladder. And this is where like repentance and just desiring to become more like God, because that's what sanctification is. It's becoming more like God, becoming like him. And it's a struggle. We sin, we fall short, we make mistakes. But God, whenever we fall short, we fall down a few rungs. He says, that's okay. Let's get back up and let's try again. Let's just keep pushing forward and let's just keep learning, growing and becoming. Yeah, So that's basically what I've been taught my whole life. So
0: that's cool. And so was it typical, like, uh, what, what are the, what are the settings like as far as just sitting at the
1: the table, like family home evening or just morning devotional, just settings like that. Or me and my dad, I mean, like during the book, like we would just sit in his office for hours on end, just talking about the best ways to teach it. How can we help people connect with this? Like how it makes sense because it's gotta be simple. And that's what Jesus did. He taught in parables. So we're like, let's figure out parables we can use so that people will be able to understand this. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And that's a, uh, that's powerful that not only just like going through the motions of reading the scriptures or even talking about the doctrines, but saying, how could we, how could we simplify this? You know, how could we put in the, if you had to tell a friend about this so that they'd be at some level of understanding, how would that go? And that almost helps mm-hmm. sort of ingrain these, these doctrines in your mind, right? Yeah.
1: That's also what my dad taught me as well Is like, what's your elevator pitch on grace? You have like 30 seconds to a minute to tell somebody. What, like the good news is like what is super important, what's so crucial that you need to tell them in that thirty seconds. And to wow. me, those two things are justification and sanctification. Because when somebody understands those two doctrines, everything will naturally come. Because like that's the main thing. That's what I teach in the book. Is like if people understand these doctrines, they'll never be the same. Like it's just yeah.
0: it's powerful. So you said earlier that oftentimes you go to you know you have these great discussions at home understanding doctrines, and then you go to church and hear something different. And- mm-hmm. And I don't think it was that your your dad was teaching a radical gospel or that people were completely off base at church. It's sometimes oh, yeah. you just get lost in the communication. So what what are some of those things you heard at church that made you think like, well, that's not what dad's saying.
1: Well, the main, the most common one, I mean, is Second Nephi twenty five twenty three. So if I'm ever in class and I teach like, we're saved by grace, there's like either a teacher or a student like, yes, but after all you can do. And I'm like, but like, <laughs> they're right in a sense, but the way they interpret it, it's wrong because uh-huh. they like- that's one of my favorite scriptures on grace. When you truly understand it, when you look through it through a lens of grace, like it's beautiful. We're saved by grace. Even after all we do, we still, how I interpret it is that even after uh-huh. all I do, I'm stuck at zero. I'm on ground zero, but yeah. Jesus Christ, he brings me up to a hundred percent.
0: Right. And that's just not how uh, Mitchell interprets it. That's how uh, Elder Ufdorf <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> mm-hmm. interprets it. You know, he's referenced that in the conference talk yep. and sort of putting it in the right context that. Even though we do all these things, it still didn't save us. It was the grace, right? Exactly.
1: And that's one of the things that I'm teaching in my other book is like, I go through the entire thing of 2 Nephi 25 and you just go through and like, there's many times in there where he's like, I'm speaking so plainly. So you do not err. He's like, I'm making this so simple. So you don't mess up. So you can understand grace. And yet we still do somehow, which is yeah. kind of funny, but it's okay. Yeah. We're still learning. We're growing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I love that. I mean, we just have patience with some of yep. these things, and maybe we we hear at church because they're well meaning. You know, they oh yeah, hundred um, percent. And we just have patience and say, you know, I see it differently. Maybe I can we, we can get a discussion going. Yep. To, reach deeper understanding, but uh, we're all learning. So anything else that is typical that you hear maybe gets off the mark? A common thing we like to do is,
1: well, I mean, we emphasize work and obedience and like ordinances, which that's great. Those are good things, right? They're required, but we got to remember that without Christ, they're pointless. They don't save us. They can't do anything. When they're connected to Christ though, that's when the power comes in, right? Mm -hmm. So another common thing, like it's just, we say, Be good enough or try like you'll have grace if you try your best or just, just be good enough. And like I read this article and like he was talking about how he didn't feel good enough. He didn't feel adequate. Like he felt not like he just felt inadequate, not good enough. And he was like, and he like taught how I got good enough was I just started getting good enough. And I'm like, what? No, you don't just try harder. No, you got to trust more. You got to trust in Jesus more to get that. So then that's because that's what justification is is that. Assurance that you can know I am saved. I'm perfect in Christ. I don't have to worry about my eternal standing before God. Cause in DNC 1810, that's, he says the worth of a soul is great in the sight of God. Jesus already defined your worth. You're priceless. He gave his life for you. It's yeah. over. Like he's already got you, but we still tend to turn to ourselves, which there's not, I mean, we don't want to trust in ourselves because I mean, that's why Jesus came or it's kind of pointless because that's what it teaches in Galatians too is like, if like, if Christ, like, if we don't, if we trust in ourselves, then Christ is dead in vain. That's kind of like the, that's just the gif. So it's Jimmy rigging that, but.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. So, and, you know, you look at your, your phase of life, you know, your peers and whatnot you know, transitioning, going through those teenage years, transitioning into young adulthood, you know, leaving a home, maybe going on a mission, maybe going to college, maybe going to the military. I mean, there's, I mean, this, this is a pivotal point and and many leaders realize that, like this is a pivotal point. And so sometimes it's easy as a leader to default to the works. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, we know, you know, we sort of wink at grace. Like, yeah, we yeah. know grace is there, but hey, listen, like we really got to make sure we got to get, get these, obedience. We
1: got to get yeah, that ingrained. That's right. Yeah. yeah.
0: Let's, let's make sure we don't miss these crucial mm-hmm. behaviors that we need. And so what advice would you give to youth leaders, bishops, as far as like teaching the doctrine of grace?
1: Well, with that with that in mind, like I was saying, like, how do we get people, how do we get our youth to read their scriptures, say their prayers, go to church? How do we get that? Like, how do we get motivate them to go? And it's like, no matter how hard we try though, to engrave them with works, like we shove it down their throat, it won't stay. Like, that's what in the, I'm trying to remember who said it, it was, Ezra Teff Benson, I think, that like the world worketh from the outside in, outside in uh, and yeah. the work and the Jesus works from inside out. So, the best way, if you want your youth to stay in the church to get a testimony of like Joseph Smith, the scriptures, whatever it is, get them to Jesus. Cause he, and then he does the preaching, he'll do the teaching. Cause we like to like, we're the converters. We think we're the converters. So we try to shove works down their throat, but it just, it won't give lasting results because they're not truly born again. They haven't really like understood who Jesus is, what he's done and why he did it for them. So yeah. I like to see this as, um I, it's, I call it symptoms versus the source. So, and I like to share my example of flat feet. So I have flat feet, which means I have no arch in my foot. Like if I'm walking on, like I figured this out, like when I went to Hawaii a couple years ago, if I walk on a beach, my feet are parallel with the sand. Like it's just completely flat. Like there's no arch, there's nothing. Because of that, like we figured that out when I was like 12 and I dealt with pain in my feet, my ankles, my knees and my shoulders. And we couldn't figure out what the frick was going on. We had no Uh idea what was happening. So we would go to ankle specialists, knee specialists, feet specialists, shoulder specialists. Like we would fit, go to everybody, and they would give me stretches. Uh, like podiatrists, they would give me inserts for my feet, but nothing was helping. Like they would give me like a like a short term relief, but eventually those symptoms would just come back. And when I was like, I think I was seventeen, maybe eighteen, and we went to a f- a physical therapist who he approached the he approached the. Just the problem differently. Instead of looking at my shoulders or my knees or my ankles, he went straight to my flat feet. He's like, all right, walk across, just walk towards me. And I started walking. He's like, oh, that's bad. And he just, he could tell immediately with my flat feet that he's like, okay, that's the problem. So he finds the source of the problem, my flat feet. And he had a really cool way of diagnosing my issue. He gave me, he had me put my feet in like this uh, styrofoam thing so I could have a perfect match of my. My, like, the bottom of my foot, which the arch was not very big. But when he gave that to me, once I got my inserts after about a week of wearing them, all the pain was gone. I had no pain in my feet, my ankles, my knees, or my shoulders. It was all gone, which it was a miracle. I was so happy. I could go to a soccer practice without not being able to walk the next day, you know? And that's just how I see with the gospel is that we need to build a relationship with Jesus. If you get them to Jesus, because that's the that's the problem. They don't know Jesus and they don't understand his grace, his forgiveness and his mercy that he wants to extend to them. And once they understand that, they'll naturally want to read their scriptures because they want to learn more about Jesus. They want to follow him. They have that yearning and just they'll want to say their prayers more because they want to talk to God. They want to talk to him. They, they go to church because they want to worship their Lord and Savior and just say, thank you for what you did for me. I'm so grateful yeah. for that.
0: So when you say get them to Jesus, like what does that look like? What are the traits of uh, the application there?
1: Yeah, I was I've also wanted that, too, because like in class <laughs> for uh, priest quorum, he's like, what does it mean to come unto Jesus? And I'm like, oh, shoot, I've never actually like thought about that. And just how <laughs> I like to see this is like, well, what did you do to come close to your best friend? It's like you talk to him, you get to know him. Right. Uh-huh. So, I mean, you learn more about Jesus when you read the scriptures, you just dive in, just learn more about him and then you just just listen, talk to him. Cause like, I mean, he's not just like an entity, like that we can't really like see, get to know. Like he wants us to get to know him. In John 17, three, it says that this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Like life is about building a relationship with God. So just, you just, instead of just reading your scriptures and saying your prayers, just to check them off a list, instead, instead of just doing it to just, you know, get that check mark down. I did it. You do it to, learn to grow to get to know them yeah. so it just puts a different emphasis on why you do it because you just if you forget why then it just it's pointless
0: you know yeah yeah you know one thought i've had with uh, this concept of of you know getting them to jesus or helping them understand that is you know in our gospel tradition we often you know we highlight the the family prayer family scripture study like this is these are things that should happen right that come follow me I mean, there's so many, you know, prayer at mealtime and there's, there's so many things we model as parents or in a household and these are all great, but we also have to remember these are all appendages to the core doctrine of the atonement of Jesus Christ, which is essentially grace, right? And so I oftentimes as a parent have and I think youth leaders or bishops could step back and, and ponder over this too. Like when you consider like, okay, I'm modeling all these behaviors, which is, which are phenomenal and great yep. and, and they need to be modeled. But how are we modeling grace in our life as a parent-child relationship or as a youth leader, youth relationship? And to me, it's almost more crucial for us to model grace in those relationships so that that they can then recognize it when the Savior or when God offers them grace. Because a lot of times, I would guess in your, your demographic and the young single adult demographic is oftentimes they don't even know what grace looks like. And so they don't know that they mm-hmm. should embrace it when they see it. So oftentimes I do this where my six-year-old boy, I mean, someday, Mitchell, I'm sure you'll have an opportunity to raise a six-year-old yeah. boy. And it, uh, <laughs> man, talk about a sanctifying experience. But sometimes it's just a bad day. Like oh, I've, yeah. I've lost my temper a few times. Like he's practically let the house on fire. And sometimes in those days, I at the end of the day, I say, all right, everybody get in, get in the car. We're going to get ice cream. Right. And now naturally it's like, wait a minute. Like you shouldn't give him ice cream because that will boy. like, what are you doing? Will, yeah, yeah. You reinforce <laughs> these behaviors. We're like, no, no, no. As we eat that ice cream, we then have a discussion about grace. Like, do you know that it doesn't matter what you do? Like I'm still going to love you. God gives you ice cream. Like yeah. he just gives you grace. Right. Um, That's awesome. And I had a youth leader on the sort of branching out on this discussion. A youth leader emailed me the other day and he was sort of reaching that frustration that you articulated like, man, I can't get, I'm the, I'm get the teacher's, stuff. teacher's quorum advisor. How do I get them to read the scriptures and like it? How do I get them to get excited about a, a mission? Like they don't even bring their scriptures and they just seem like, you know, indifferent oh, yeah. mm-hmm. to, to the gospel. And I basically, we, we got on a call and we had a great discussion. I basically said, well, you can't. Like that's not your job to do that. Like, yeah, that's not Jesus's way
1: either. He doesn't exactly. force. Like, there's
0: nothing, there's not like some tactic or strategy nope. that's just going to magically do that. So what you can offer them is grace. love, yep. And, right? grace. yep. and in a, and I realize I'm rambling here, but I'm coming to a point that oftentimes in like, in a, if you're a priest quorum advisor, it's so easy to sort of overemphasize the mission experience, right? Like, oh, let me tell you about my mission. I love my mission. I hope all you guys get to serve missions and, oh, look at Look at Timmy, you know, he just he just left on his mission. He's in Argentina. Like, oh man, look at this picture. He's loving it, right? Yeah. But rarely do they hear what Grace sound like, which is, "Hey, guys, do you realize you could never serve a mission and I don't care? Like, do you realize that we're going to still be friends? Like, if you don't go on a mission, mm-hmm. like I'm always still here to figure out what what the next step is?" Did you know you can actually spiritually progress without a mission, right? And a youth leader hearing that is going to be like, oh, like no, you cringe. can't say that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, what if what if they take that as permission to not go on a mission? But like, here's the thing: is if we don't model what grace looks like, yeah, they will never know what it looks like when it comes exactly. from exactly right, right?
1: No, yeah. What,
0: uh, what what thoughts come to mind? No, any, so any like additional,
1: we just like whenever like we hear the word grace, like you can just he- you can just like feel the people like shh, like. Shh just move up and they're like, oh, that sounds terrible. What are you doing? Yeah. You're giving them license to sin. And no, don't do that. And it's like, well, no, the, the like you were saying, the worst thing to do is to not teach grace entirely, which is what we've done, which is not, that's not good. Because uh, that's why, so in my, sur- I take, a, I do a survey in my book, right? And we ask the question, we ask two questions. Do you want to go to the celestial kingdom? And if you were to die today, would you go to the celestial kingdom? And the first mm. one, I mean, everybody her thunderous yes, yes i want to go but then once you get to the second question that's where you get the differentiating and answers and only 30 percent that which is grace they understood i'm saved by jesus i trust in him he's giving me this gift and i accept him as my savior and then the other 70 they have like after all you can do is i own them and the main one was i don't know they just don't know and they just because we view it as what level of obedience do I need to reach? And we don't know if we've met that level of obedience, but it doesn't even like, that's just a good, like good enough. Cause we, that's a common thing. We need to be good enough. Right. But good enough isn't good enough for the celestial kingdom. Right. It's perfection. Yeah. That's better than good enough. So it's like, right. Which that? But then when they hear that, it discourages them. They're like, crap. Well, what do I do? Well, great. Let me tell you about grace. Let me tell you about <laughs> Jesus and his great forgiveness that he extends to each of us. But no, I just went on a tangent there. I forgot like, what was that? Well, just say,
0: I think we're talking about sort of that aversion to grace that some yeah. people fear. Like, so
1: right. I see like, uh, with the aversion to grace, I see three things, three main things. I mean, there's many different like differentiating things, but I see three main ones. And well, the first one, like we were t- talking about, was, is we just don't understand it because we haven't been teaching it enough. And then we get misconceptions of it. Like the cheap grace, like it gives us license to sin, those type of things. And then another one is that since because other denominations believe in grace, which because it's truth, truth is truth. But since they believe in Mm -hmm. it, we come to the conclusion, ah, that can't be true because the Baptists believe it, like in Robert Millett's book. Oh, do we believe in Mm -hmm. grace, dad? No, that's what the Baptists believe. Oh, okay, dad, thank you. But (laughs) and then the third (laughs) one is just that's what I'm teaching in my uh, other book is it's a culture of legalism where we focus so much on works, ordinances, obedience that we just bury grace. And it becomes the enemy. And like what we've been saying, like that when we hear the word grace, we just cringe and we get all tensed up. It's like, oh, I got to go fight the battle. Got to be an advocate for works, you know? But and then the main so like the main one, whenever I've taught grace or forgiveness to my friends or to or just anybody, they would say, oh, so I don't have to do anything so I can just sit back, relax and (laughs) whoa, Jesus has saved me. It's like, No. But you're on the right track, but no. Let's, let me tell you. Let me teach you something. So I use something called the medical school analogy, and it's just okay. to help teach that work is required, but it doesn't save you. So let's just say you're a student and you want to go to medical school, but you understand that it's going to cost a lot of time, effort, and money. So you be, you get a job and you start to get some money, so you can go. You start to study to see what school you want to go to, what you want to major in, and then one day you get a phone call from this old man, and he says hey, I've been hearing you want to go to medical school. And he's like, yeah. So I was like, how would you like if I paid for everything? I pay for your schooling, housing, food, everything. You don't have to pay a dime. And then you'd be like, awesome, let's do this, right? And what I like to say after, and then you go to medical school, you go to class and you become a medical cert. You can be, you, you get your medical degree, right? But whenever I teach that, I'm like, by this man extending this gift, which is like grace, Jesus is saying grace to us, Is it all of a sudden going to make him want to be lazy? Is he all of a sudden going to be like, when he gets the phone call, hey, do you want this uh, amazing scholarship that I can give you? Nah, man, it's going to make me lazy. I'm not going to want to work anymore. You're going to make me just live a riotous life. It's like, no, (laughs) that's ridiculous. It's like, if I got a scholarship from BYU Provo to go play soccer, I'm not going to be like, nah, dude, I was going to work super hard and try to earn my spot, but now I'm not going to do it because you're just giving it to me. No, I'm gonna want to go to school. I'm gonna want to get good grades so I can play soccer. Right? It motivates you. So like we've just like turned it. Instead of a grace being a motivator, it's like it turns into a a demotivator or whatever word. But like it just make we think it's gonna make us not want to do anything, which is like no, it's the opposite. When you truly understand grace, you get invigorated. You're like I want to go tell people about this because you understand what Jesus like what he's giving you. It's amazing. It is amazing grace. It's awesome.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oftentimes, in my in my own life experience, as I've learned more about grace and and received that grace, like it's so strange how like I it doesn't give me an aversion to commandments or, or make me do less. It makes I'm you want like, to keep
1: them more. It makes you yeah, want to follow or, him more
0: or, or demand more commandments. I'm like God, if you love me so much and you've given me so much, <laughs> Tell like me what to do? I want to do more. It. Yeah. Like, should I start stop eating carrots? Like, I don't <laughs> do coffee. Should I skip uh, hot chocolate too? Like. And obviously you don't want to No get yeah you that but no, yeah. but the point being is that like you when everything's in the right context like you just want to do more because you felt so much love and acceptance from this yeah. greater being
1: mm-hmm. that you want to be like him. Exactly. The grace leads to sanctification. That's what I that it just grace will lead to greater sanctification. It doesn't lead to moral irresponsibility or laziness. It leads to greater and fuller repentance. It makes you want to become more. Yeah. Yeah. And another, so with the, uh-huh. so I don't have to do anything. Right. So there's another one. It's just, whenever I teach you like, well, that's too easy. That's so simple. It's like, well, that's, it's like, uh, cause there's like this common, fr- it was like, it was like a painting. It was like a picture. And it says, I never said it would be easy. I only said it would be worth it. Like, re- like referencing Matthew 11, 28 and 30. Oh, yeah. But I'm like, it's like, if you read that scripture, where does he say it's going to be worth it or hard? He says, my yoke is easy. My burden yeah. is light. So, and that's the beauty of the good news though. He's give God is giving us something we can't earn or deserve. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve grace. We're sinners and we fall short of the glory of God. And yet he still gives it to us because he loves us, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and the reality is, it is really hard, but only for Jesus Christ, right? Yep. Like he, he the paid one. the price. Yeah. Yeah. He paid the price and it was really hard, right? Like, and yeah. <laughs> it was, sounds, uh, diminishing saying that but yeah it was a difficult thing that he did but now it makes our it makes our burden light because yep. of jesus christ right? what
1: how i like to say it is that god jesus died so we could be perfect in christ now and become perfect li- and become perfect like him later so hmm. he gives us the opportunity to be justified to be to have that perfect assurance that i am saved i'm going to go to the celestial kingdom because i know in whom i have trusted in the words of nephi but i also know that i can become like him eventually it's going to take a lot of hard work and effort, but I don't have to worry about my standing before God because Jesus already proved that His hands are pierced, and His, his, are, his piercings in His hands prove that. You know?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So, and I, and I yeah. want to underscore the the point you made as far as how we often think we hear grace, and it's has a very evangelical feel uh-huh. to it, right? Like, because because they've like totally embraced this doctrine and almost to <laughs> to the point where that's all they they talk about, right? Oh, when yeah. And so, it sometimes feels like in our faith tradition, like it's either, we either can emphasize grace or works. You can't do both. You can't but do both. you do it linear. Yep. You're right. Yeah. But in reality is like, no, no, no. Like we don't have to pick one or the other. We can be just as much the grace church and then exactly. say, now that you understand grace, look how beautiful these works are that help us become like him sanctification. mm mm-hmm. right?
1: Yeah, that's just what we, we can't, like, we just can't, like, justify the two. It's like, we're stuck. It's like, well, if I have grace, then clearly I, there's no works. But that comes to that fallacy again that I don't have to do anything. We just have that in our brains. Like, when we hear grace, it's that, oh, that's cheap grace. I don't have to do anything. It's like, no, that's a false doctrine. Cheap grace is not true grace. So it's just yeah. like, and yeah. the main thing that, I, the reason for cheap grace is because of the, the legalistic culture of just, like, like, we throw works and ordinances down their throat, trying to get that obedience and everything. Because in the legalistic t- culture, we focus more on, it's like everything is merit and reward. There is no grace, no receiving. You can't receive a gift. Everything is earned. You work hard, you get this. It's just a cause and effect. If I do this, if I read my scriptures, say my prayers and I get this, I get these blessings, you know? But it's like, well, now you're, you're just throwing, it just throws, G- you're like throwing the baby out with the bathwater. You're throwing Jesus out. He's gone. When you focus so much on the law, you overlook the lawgiver, which that's the entire yeah. purpose of the law is to help bring us closer to Jesus and to become more like Him. How I, I like how I like to see the law is that it's an instruction manual of the character and attributes of Christ. Is that when we keep the law, we're emulating one of Christ's uh, Christ-like attribute, and we're becoming more like Him. So it's like, we don't keep the law to earn a reward or to show how worthy we are and how amazing we are because that, that's what the Pharisees did. And it's not the way we, rather we do it because in John fourteen fifteen, if you love me, keep my commandments. We do it because we love God and we want to become more like him. That's why we keep the law. And we also do it because we're serving others when we keep the law as well. And we want to help others. So
0: that's yeah. how. So, I want to ask you a, a little bit about perfectionism a little bit. Obviously, you know, we're, we're perfected through Christ. And, you know, I just like interacting with you and the different conversations we've had. It's like, man, Mitchell, you're sort of a freak of nature. here. Like <laughs> there, there's there's people listening to you and thinking, wow, my 18-year-old kid? does not talk like that, nor does he write books, nor does he even understand, you know, let a, justification, all these things, right? And so I was uh, I was talking with my niece the other day, and and she's just a brilliant girl. She has she's going to to BYU full ride scholarship? She got like a ridiculous ACT score, and Dang. she's just always just doing remarkable work. And it's so easy to praise her for that. Like, man, you're doing so great! Like, you're so smart! Like, look at you! Like, you just do remarkable things. But I often wonder, like, oh, I wonder if. There's some level of, and this is very common for youth, right? That they sort of find a personal identity through their their works and their effort. And maybe yeah. they are smarter than others. And it's like, yeah, obviously I'm proving myself worth because I'm doing all these great things. I got the scholarship. I'm doing these things, right? And so yeah. a part of me wants to say, hey, that's fantastic. Good job. Another thing, part of me wants to say, you know, it doesn't matter, right? Like yeah. you don't have to get those straight A's mm-hmm. or or you don't have to be exceptional for to be accepted right and, yeah. and she seems like she's pretty mentally stable and those things but i that i worry about those things so any thoughts as far as because obviously with the with the understanding of grace you sort of get away from that mm-hmm. thinking of that oh it's up to me to identify yeah. through my works right but any thoughts come to mind of how to help youth maybe avoid i mean
1: yeah so i i deal with perfectionism i mean i i ha- i like to do things first try i got this like it's got to be per- pitch perfect. Everything's going to be beautiful, right? First try. And like being an author is kind of like writing a book has helped me like to overcome that a little bit. Cause it's like, you have to revise everything. You have to go, you have to read it thousands of times. And it just hurts. <laughs> it hurt my soul. Cause I'm like, why can't I get this? Which in a, like with perfectionism, it's like, it like, it, like you were saying, it does define it. Like it starts to define you because you want, you do these things because I want to be known. I want, I do these things so I can you know, just be on the hierarchy level. Like I got, like you were saying, ACT score, I got a scholarship. I'm I'm on the way to do all these great things. It's yeah. like, well, those, that is good. But you, like with perfect, that's what perfectionism does. It just, it dislocates Jesus out of the equation and it's just you. Cause you just view it as I do this. I have to do all these things. I'm on my own. I'm like, like I was, you're just on your own. You're, you're, it's all up to you. And if you fall short, well, sucks to suck, I guess, you know, but <laughs> when, with perfectionism it can be a really good thing if it's tied to Jesus, right? Like if you remember, oh hi Nate. If you remember <laughs> that regardless of whether I do everything perfectly or if I do fall short, I can know that Jesus isn't going to like exclude himself from me and say, "Oh man, you messed up. Now go repent and then I'll let you back on my team. Then you can come back and we can have a party." It's like, "No, no, 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 no." Jesus is with you the entire time. He says in Matthew, the last verse of Matthew, I'm always with you. And then in Hebrews, he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. He's always by your side 100% of the time. So, like, whenever I recognize somebody who has perfectionism, like, mentality, I'm like, hey, that's a good thing. It's good to strive for perfection. That's what we're going for, right? But you got, that's when justification comes in clutch, is that you can meet the perfection requirement now through Jesus, and you can become perfect later. And that's like, It just eases, like, you can just feel that weight off your chest. It's like, I don't have to be perfect right now. I'm perfect in Jesus. This is amazing, right? Yeah. But then you strive for that perfection not to be, like, to earn the celestial kingdom. You do it because you just want to become better, which that's what we're striving to be, right? So.
0: Yeah, that's helpful. And I think just taking opportunity with youth to articulate that dynamic of saying, like, you know, that's who's done really good on a test before? Where was Jesus in that? Was that all you, or where? What did no, what yeah. did Jesus mm-hmm. do? Yeah. Do in that that effort, right? And does it matter what the final score is, depending on whether Jesus is there for you or not, or whether you're worthy or accepted in these things? So it's a, an interesting dynamic for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, the next point you put down on your island here is uh, building a relationship with Jesus Christ. We've talked this about mm-hmm. this throughout our our conversation. Anything else we we haven't added there?
1: I mean, one of my so in my book, Perfect in Christ. I at the very end I share a story I share a story in Matthew 26 and it's about this uh so Jesus is at Passover and uh, with his disciples and this woman comes in and he begins like to she has an alabaster box and begins anointing his feet his head like wiping her hair with his feet to clean them, and then the the apostles get angry they're like dude why are you letting her do this this could have been sold and given to the poor you know and he, Jesus is like well guys what she's doing it's a good thing and this scripture, Matthew twenty I'm going to try to say it off the top of my head, but he's like, whithersoever the gospel is preached, this story of this woman will be told in memorial of her. And that verse like just popped out. It's like, hmm. what? Wherever the good news is preached, the gospel of Jesus Christ, this story needs to be told. And like I was talking with my dad and he's like, I've been teaching the good news for 20 years. I've never taught this story. It's like, no. Mm-hmm. Oh. Why would Jesus want this? So as I began to study and looking where this, with where the story is, it's in the same chapter as Jesus' atonement and resurrection. And also at the house where they were at, you had Simon, who was a leper, and Lazarus, who was raised from the grave. And I just began wondering, why would Jesus want this story to be taught rather than Simon being healed of leprosy or Lazarus being raised from the dead? Because, I mean, those seem more important than, to me than this woman washing Jesus' feet, right? Mm-hmm. And then the revelation finally came, and it's Jesus can raise, he can heal your sickness, and he can raise you from the dead, but his greatest gift is to forgive your sins. And that's what that woman, she understood who Jesus was. She had a relationship with him. She loved him, she cared about him, and she knew who he was. And that's just with that relationship thing, when you... When you can get them to have a relationship with Jesus, the symptoms of depression, anxiety, shame, inadequacy, they all express because there's no relationship with Jesus. They don't they don't have their worth, their identity found in him. It's focused on them. So when, oh, I made a mistake, my identity goes down. When I don't go to church one week, oh, now I'm full of shame because now what are people going to think of me? It's like, no, I don't care what others think. I only care what Jesus thinks, right? When he, what he says to me, you're my child. I died for you. Your worth is found in Christ. It's found in his blood that he shed for you. Right. So, and that's just like the beauty of the good news is found in that story is that the gospel isn't just knowledge to be consumed. It's a relationship that strengthens us. Cause like, we just like to view, like we go through the motions, like we just do, we do these things and then yay, you know, but the reality is like we do these things because we just, we love God and we are grateful for what Jesus did for us. And that's what a relationship with Jesus can do.
0: Yeah, You know, what stands out most me as I listen to your, your comments there is oftentimes when we're helping youth build a relationship with Jesus Christ, we default to those behaviors, right? Read your scriptures, you know, go to seminary, yep. go to I, church, yeah. you know, the old Sunday school answer. But I love how you said the the greatest thing that Christ does and the, and the fastest way to build a relationship with him is for him to forgive our sins for us to repent. Right. And so to put the emphasis there, like that shifts everything Yep. because it's more of like, it's not necessarily about these behaviors as it is about like the reconciliation mm-hmm. of your soul with God and with Christ. And so the best thing you can do is repent. And so, yep. man, this, this Bishop's office better be full and there's mm-hmm. no shame in that. And because this is where we're building a relationship with Jesus Christ, yep. because in my own experience, like, the deepest connection that's been formed between me and, and the Savior is like when I was broken and I needed his help. I had done something so regrettable, yeah, same. right? And so if we can help de-shame and stimulate that repentance process, it's going to create a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ.
1: Yeah, and like what you were saying, like we find him the most when we're broken, when we're in the lowest of lows. But then instead, when we see our youth or a young adult or an adult who's like going through a tough time instead of like showing them grace, extending them grace and forgiveness and showing them, hey, let's look at these scriptures. Let's see what Jesus would do in your circumstance. This is what, because he's no respecter of persons. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So what happens here, we can apply to your life and he'll do the same for you. And instead of showing them what Jesus's grace and his forgiveness that he st- extends to each one of us when we fall short, instead we say, okay, all right, Since you're messing up right now, won't take the sacrament. We're going to like put a pause on there, which that that one hurts a little bit sometimes. Or you need to go read some, I'm going to give you these conference talks that you need to read. You need to pray more like 20 minutes a day. And we just give them the list of dues and then don't do these things. And then maybe I'll let you take the sacrament again, you know? But it's like Hmm. the thing that we need to be doing is like if they're striving and struggling to become more, that's a sign of a broken heart and a contrite spirit of somebody who wants to become better. So with like with a bishop and like they have that power to like restrict the sacrament. I I just want them to like just like think and just like ponder and just think. Is this person are they trying to become better? Do they desire to follow Christ? It's like sure yeah they mess up. But then think of Jonah and the book of Jonah. Shall I not spare Nineveh? It's like well if you she can't take the sacrament because she's messing up, then technically you can't either because we all mess up. Then none of us could take the sacrament, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's like yeah. no you want. The sacrament is not a thing to like to prove it's like, oh yeah, you see um, all these people in the congregation, yep, since they're all taking the sacrament, they're worthy. And then you see little Joe in the back huddled in the corner like, Man, I can't take the sacrament because <laughs> I made a mistake. Eh. It's like, well yeah, sure, yeah. you make a mistake, but it's like let them take the sacrament. It invigorates their soul. It helps them come closer to Jesus. That's what we're doing. We're celebrating the death and resurrection of Christ and just what he gives to us. So it's like the sacrament—it just helps. It helps renew our covenants with God. It's just just to show God I mess up daily, but I desire to become better. And I know that even though I fall short, you still love me. You still extend grace to me. You tell me, "Hey, it's okay. Let's just—I forgive you." That's why I died. That's why I have these hand. That's why I have these nail prints in my hands. It's like just repent. Don't try to do it again. And if you do, it's okay. I still love you. Just keep striving and struggling to become more like me. I mean, if they just understand that like they're standing before God doesn't change. It's not like I like to call it yo-yo Christian. It's like we go from worthy, not worthy, worthy, not worthy, worthy, not worthy. You know, but with justification, (laughs) you stay worthy. You're always perfect in Christ, even though you fall short because you're in a covenant relationship with God. And that's the good news, too, right there. It's that no matter how many times I fall short, no matter how many times I don't read my scriptures or I make a mistake, well, God still loves you, and he sent his son so that he could have you back with him again in the celestial kingdom,
0: you know? Yeah, and I'm glad you bring up the, the sacrament dynamic because that, that happens a lot, and especially in the context of with youth, it can be incredibly shaming, mm-hmm. very misunderstood why this is happening, and it can feel like a punishment, right? It That's feels how we like, view well, the you're...
1: sacrament now. It's like some bishops yeah, yeah. view it as a, as a punishment. It's like, okay, well, in order to like satisfy the demands of justice of what you did. I'm not going to let you take the sacrament. like, well, Jesus yeah. already satisfied the demands of justice. Chill out, dude. It's like,
0: <laughs> come on. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing is uh, when we're ever doing it in the context of like, oh, well, you know, Timmy needs a little timeout here, you know, like that. No, no, no. Like Christ took the ultimate timeout. We're there good are there. no there's, timeouts there's- with
1: Jesus. He's already done it. He's got this, right. man.
0: And I, do, I want to be clear to make sure people know that we're not saying there's it's never appropriate for no, the yeah. bishop to restrict it an ordinance. I mean, there's sometimes there's time where some, a person is struggling just to find a routine or a rhythm in, a, yeah. in, an, in an ordinance uh, covenant-keeping life. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, there may be a time there. But if it's ever put in the context or ever understood as a punishment, that's where we have that's to sort of right, time out. Yep. You need to fully understand this is not to punish you. Let me talk through this because if if you don't bring explanation, they're going to default to the and think, well, yeah, this is because I because that's mad the way so it's been I'm done for so punished. long
1: that that's just the default. It's like, yep, yeah. all right, I'm being punished for what I'm doing. It's like, well, Jesus yeah. isn't the punisher; he doesn't punish. He already took the punishment, yeah. right? He extends grace and forgiveness so that that enables us and it invigorates our soul to do do better. Because like, um, yeah, you know, with this, like that one's just like because I've watched some of my friends like they don't take the sacrament. I'm like, dude, what the heck? Like, why? It's like, oh, bishop said I can. I'm like, okay, what? And then I. You know, you go talk to him, ask him why. Well, it's just like, all right. It's all right, dude. Just know Jesus loves you. You got this man. And some, It's all right. Whenever he does that, just know that Jesus still loves you. And like, he doesn't judge you for what you're doing. Like he looks at your heart, right? 1 Samuel 16, 7, the Lord looketh on the heart, not the outward appearance, right? So, it's just mm-hmm. like, if you really do desire to follow God and become better, dude, you're spot on, dude. Just keep doing that. Just keep going. <laughs> all right?
0: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, love it. Love it. Anything else? Uh, I mean, we've sort of jumped around on your outline yeah. here, but I want to make sure <laughs> hey, we haven't good, missed anything. Good. Anything else you'd add as far as uh, reconciling grace and works? I, we pretty well covered that, but is there anything yeah, else we missed?
1: Well, that's, I mean, we've done good Like with the reconciling. There's one other thing I've like uh, just thought of. So it's like um, when I first came out with my book, I got a call because I was sending out stuff to like podcasts to try to get on. And they were the first one that reached out to me. And I gave him a book and I'm like, okay, read through this, like, and then let's have a discussion, see what's like, if you, if it's an interview you want to do. And she called me and she's like... She didn't even read the book. Like, uh, if she did, she skimmed through it because, like, her questions she asked were awful. And, like, the main <laughs> one she asked was, why do you use evangelical language, not, like, Mormon language? Like, because I use grace of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, and not the atonement because I don't like just saying the atonement. Like,
0: yeah. and, and neither does President Oaks. No, and, and or President Nielsen,
1: right? <laughs> right <laughs> so, <yeah>. it's like… <laughs> And then because of that, like she kind of like pushed me out. I didn't even get to do an interview because I believed what the evangelicals believe that I'm saved by grace. And I'm like, uh-huh. what? Why? It's be- and yeah. it just jumps back to like the cheap grace. Like we just don't understand that works are required and necessary. Like, Jesus doesn't just want you to save you and then just sit on the couch. That's, that's pointless. That's another thing I like to say that I came up with is that, well, Jesus came up with it. He gave me the revelation, but I put it down on paper, but it's justification without sanctification is pointless. And sanctification without justification is impossible. So if like you break that down, so you have justification being perfect in Christ. It's like, that's not the end. You've just begun your life as a disciple of Christ. You don't just, now I'm good. Woo. And then you just hold your hands up like a roller coaster and then you just go through life and then, yeah, I'm safe. Right. <laughs> but yeah. we do, you're justified so you can become sanctified. It's not that I'm justified, done. I'm good. No, it's a, Jesus justifies you so you can become like him. But then the other way around is that, well, You can't become sanctified without being justified because the requirement is perfection. And you can't become perfect if, like, we never can make it that far. So it's like, even hypothetically, if, like, somebody got to 99% away from perfection, you're no better than little Joe in the background who's at one. It's Like, you're still, you're stuck. You're still not going to be able to get into the celestial kingdom because it requires perfection, right? So it's just, and that's where justification and sanctification, they reconcile grace and works justification. I like, it's like, it's grace. It's forgiveness. It's when you accept Christ and it's instantaneous. It can happen in an instant. That's how it works. It's like with the man on the cross. I like to see his story when he's like, Lord, see me when like I die. Will I see you in heaven? And he's like, yep, you'll be with me in paradise. And like how a lot of people interpret that. It's like, what did Jesus mean by paradise? Does he mean the spirit, world, spirit, prison, like what's going to happen, you know? And like, I like to see that story as that man on the cross he recognized who Jesus was. No man just says, like, he called Jesus by name as Lord and Savior. Like, he, nobody just says that. Cause I mean, there were people, you had the rich young man, he called him Rabbi. I mean, you have Nicodemus. He also calls him Rabbi and then eventually was born again and stuff. But that man on the cross, he recognized who Jesus was and he was born again. And it's like, oh, that's deathbed repentance. That isn't true. It's like, well, laborers in the vineyard, man, 11 hours are one. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Jesus extends his grace. It doesn't matter how many hours you work because your work doesn't get you in. Jesus gets you in. So you should be grateful that this man at his deathbed accepted Jesus. Because when you want the same thing for yourself, right? So it's just when you see like justification as it's instantaneous, you immediately reach the requirement for the celestial kingdom through Jesus Christ. And then sanctification, I see it's grace plus works because... I mean, you can't just like say, I want to become a heart surgeon. And then you magically become a heart surgeon. It's the same with becoming a God. You can't say, oh, since I'm justified and I'm perfect, I'm now a God because, you know, gods are perfect. It's like, no, Jesus is the reason why you're perfect. So now you have to strive and struggle and become to become perfect like Christ. But you still got to remember your perfection comes from Christ. Just because you're perfect doesn't mean you're a God now. So grace is straight up justification. And then grace plus works because it requires Jesus to become like God is sanctification.
0: That's awesome man. Love it. Anything we haven't said uh, as far as how do we know if if we're we're saved? Ooh, I was I love this one.
1: Yes. <laughs> so, the one I liked so cuz like in the survey you have 30 70. 30% know how we get there 70% don't. So the majority don't and like that's my goal. Like I teach every day just so we can chip away at that number until we get 50 50 and then we'll get 60 50, 60 40, 70 30 and then we'll just sway it around, right? But the main thing, how I like to teach this is with the, the beautiful doctrine of that little children are saved. So you say, let's say you have little Jimmy, so he's seven, and he tragically dies. So where does he go? Well, we know because of doctrines in Moroni and in Doctrine and Covenants that he's in the highest degree of the Celestial Kingdom. It's like, well, was little Jimmy keeping all the commandments? Was he doing like, Was he doing everything? Does he have all his ordinances done? Oh my goodness. Is he going to make it? Yes, because he's because of Jesus. He's alive in Christ, right? So then you just have another example. You say, okay, what if you have a child? He's baptized at eight, but then he dies tragically at age nine. Now do we have to all of a sudden wonder like, oh my gosh, was he keeping his baptismal covenant? Was he keeping the commandments? Was he reading his scriptures every day? Oh my gosh, are we going to lose this poor soul? No, he's perfect in Christ. He's justified. He's going to make it if he believes in Jesus Christ and he trusts in him and he's he's alive in Christ. He's perfect. Not because he's doing all these things, but because he's perfect in Christ. And like, I like to, me and my dad came up with this the other day and we were laughing so hard. So let's just say you have like this sociopath, you have like this murderer. Well, he would be considered a murderer. He's going around, he's stabbing little children. And he goes to court and like, dude, why are you doing this? He's like, why are you a murderer? He's like, no, I'm a savior. I'm helping these kids get celestial glory. Like, I'm killing them before, because that's that's how we view it. It's like, once you get age eight, now it's like, you're on your own. Hope you do your best, right? Like, he's killing them. It's like, before eight, so then they get the celestial kingdom. It's like, no, dude, you're a crazy man. You're crazy. Stop it. Stop killing our children. (laughs) But it's like, that's how we view it. It's like, we're seven. Oh, you're totally fine. You're alive in Christ. It's cool. Then you get baptized. And instead of becoming perfect in Christ and justified, we view it as, now you're the cleanest one in the room. Now, don't make a mistake or you're done, Zobro. It's like... Oh my goodness. No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. Cause like it just turns from grace at seven. And then once we turn eight and get to nine, 10, 11, it's like work, work. Now do your best. Try your best. Just strive for excellence. But then we totally forget justification. We forget Jesus. We just leave him behind in the baptismal font. He's just sitting there chilling, like, dude, what the heck? <laughs> I'm still here. Hello. Yeah. Accept me, please. It's like,
0: yeah, because essentially that font turns into a sacrament table every yeah. week that we go to, and yeah. he's just, he's there every week. Like, exactly. oh, glad you're back. It's like, dude, let's take care of this again, and awesome. we hope you come back next week. You exactly. know, like just constant that way. So awesome, Mitchell. Well, you're you're awesome. You know why you're awesome? Because Jesus Christ saved you. That's why you're awesome. Amen right? to that. <laughs> Anything we're missing, Mitchell? I got a few more questions for you, but any point or topic that I we, mean, we, I mean, I mean, just hit along
1: the lines of that, just you are forgiven, like. You don't have to worry like if you're an active Latter-day Saint or if you're just an active Christian and you strive and strive, like if you're just desire to become more like God, that's what he cares about. It says in D&C 6434, the Lord requires a heart and a willing mind. He doesn't say, I require all these ordinances or all these works until like you get you're viewed like amazing in my eyes. It's like, no, I want your heart. I want you. It's like, and once he has you, then that's when he starts to develop us. It's like, he doesn't wait for us to, to reach a certain level of obedience and then, okay, now I can work with you. It's like, no, no, no. I start with you as little, little sinner over here and you stay sinner, 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 and then perfection. So I'm just with you the entire way. And just, and then that's why Jesus died. It's like, we don't have to worry like, well, oh, was Jesus's atonement good enough? Like it's like, cause like, that's how we view like the, after all you can do, or like we do our best and Jesus does the rest. And I'm like, well, just because it rhymes doesn't make this true. It's not the Lego movie. <laughs> you know, we're not over here, but just, yeah. just know that since Christ atoned in Gethsemane and died on the cross, he made it possible for you to be saved, right? It's just, don't worry about, like, it's good to be obedient. It's good to go to church. It's good to do those things. But instead of doing them to be found worthy in the eyes of God, just do them because you love them. Do them because that's what Jesus does right? That's why, I mean, he didn't do things when he was on the earth because he's like, oh, I need to prove myself to my father. I need to show how amazing I am. It's like, no, he did it because this is my father's will. I do this because I love my father and I love my children, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Awesome. So, if people want to get uh, access to the book or find us somewhere, where, where would you send them? Uh, to? The, and, 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 I mean, and can you? We haven't said the title enough. Will you oh, say yeah. the title? <laughs> the
1: full title is Perfect in Christ, The Good News of God's Grace and it is on amazon it's also on uh, it's an it well, amazon so you have audible ebook print book or you can mm-hmm. email me i mean we can put that in like the newsletter or something my email they can email me and i can send them a book if they just give me their information they can like venmo me 10 bucks or something like
0: or just whatever okay.
1: <laughs> whatever we can do cool. to get them a book i'll do it
0: well, well we'll we'll link to it and make sure that people have access to it. and uh and when you read it like if you didn't if you gave the book to someone and, and told them and did not tell them anything about the author's age they would assume that a 40 year old scholar oh, wrote yeah. the book like I mean, it's my very dad well helped done and... too,
1: so but yeah. yeah 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 if they don't so. know my age they will have no clue and then they go to the back about the authors <laughs> he is 17. The frick! Holy crap! It's like, dang, dude. But then don't go to your children and say, "Hey, be like this Mitchell kid, be him." And I'm like, no, no, yeah. no, 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 stop it, stop it.
0: I'm not. Well, what what would you say to like some youth that or maybe have an interest in writing or because there is this like this wonderful process of writing where you learn more about what you write about. Right? Oh yeah, so it's amazing. What, what would you, if if someone does want to write, uh, what encouragement would you give them?
1: Well, I just tell them. Well, I always ask the question. This is what my dad's taught me. It's like ask the question, God, what do you want me to do? for to do like what today what is there what you want me to do and then you just be still and know that I'm God Psalm 46:10 just be still listen yeah. and then go awesome. through your day and then like I receive like revelation for my books like while I'm at work I'm like oh cool write that down real fast so I don't forget so it's just write and just remember writing is a process it takes time it's like and just like you're just the, you're just the scribe. Jesus is the author. He does all the idea brainstorming. Like he gives all the ideas to you eventually through revelation after you study and everything, but you're just the scribe. So it's, that's also yeah. the thing. It's like, with whatever you do, you're an instrument in God's hands. So like, if you don't want to be a writer, Hey, I don't care. I'm not going to like judge you or something. It's like, you go find your God given <laughs> talent, go find your God given. What is your God given mission? And then just ask God, God, what do you want me to do? And he's just, just keep searching, yearning for that. And then eventually he'll give it to you and you'll, you'll be like, wow, this is awesome. And then you're just going to, you're going to love what you do because it's what God wants you to do.
0: Yeah. Love that. So uh, Mitchell, the last question I have for you, if you were in a room full of youth and uh, what encouragement would you give him about the doctrine of grace?
1: Oh man, I would first say my favorite scripture, Romans 5, 8, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And it's just like, we always get from our leaders to like, like we were saying throughout the entire thing, they want us to be obedient. They want us to do all these things, right? They want us to go to church. And it's like, yeah, I told them, guys, our leaders aren't here to punish us. They want us to do these things because they love us and because they know what they'll do for us. But it's also like, remember what Jesus did. It's like, whenever you make a mistake, don't be like, oh crap, now I have to go like, talk to the bishop. Now I have to like, to confess my sins. It's like, well, if it's that bad, I mean, yeah, but the bishop, it, he's supposed to represent Jesus. And Jesus is full of grace and mercy. And his, his, there's a scripture, he says, my arms are, they're always open, right? His arms are always open to receive you. So it's like, instead of viewing your leaders or Jesus as like a punisher, view him as he's a consoler. He's your counselor. He's there for you. And whatever you do, it's okay. Jesus has unconditional love for you. And I'd also, I mean, I teach him. I might say, I might use the parable of the bicycle, and it's like, whenever you fall off a bike, it's like sin, and it's like, well, it, it hurts, right? Yeah. But who comes running to your side? Your parents. They come and help you. They bind your wounds. And it's the same with Jesus. Whenever you fall short, he doesn't like run away or like look through the window, and he's like, my goodness, Billy, why'd you fall off your bike, you idiot? Why would you do that? You know, that's not good. You don't want to fall off your bike. It's like, no, he runs to your side and he helps you. He binds your wounds. He comforts you. He says, hey, it's okay. I died on the cross for you. I forgive your sins. It's okay. Don't be discouraged. I'm here for you. And he's just like, just repent and just try your best. But don't try your best to be worthy. Try your best because you love me, right? It's just, And then just the main thing is just just know that Jesus loves you. Just know that he is by your side constantly. He's always there for you. It's not like he's only there when you're obedient or when you're at a certain level of obedience. No, he's always there.
0: That concludes my interview with Mitchell Taylor. Definitely check out his book, Perfect in Christ, The Good News of God's Grace. I will link to it in the show notes so you have that available to you. And would you please share this with other youth that you know? or youth leaders or bishops, like this is such a phenomenal interview to help articulate the gospel of grace or the doctrine of grace in the communication style of youth, right? And Mitchell does such a great job just speaking to them and and talking them through this and and speaking in examples of, of their real world, right? So big shout out to Mitchell, the good work he does. There's a mission presence somewhere in the world that is going to be blessed by having Mitchell in their mission for sure. So again, share this with somebody that you know, and that helps us uh, get the message out about what we do at Leading Saints and exposes people to more of this content. And remember, text the word LEAD to 474747 in order to access the three most popular sessions of the Liberating Saints Library.